United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and I'm proud to tell you we got another jam-packed, exciting show for you today. We'll kick it off with Mark Segbers, who's the starting right back for Memphis 901 FC of USL Championship. Mark Segbers starred at Wisconsin, where he was an all-Big Ten selection and helped John Trask and the Badgers win the Big Ten tournament. Mark Segbers, at two years old, a young black child, was adopted by a wonderful white family who also adopted two black girls. There's five total kids, big-time family, big-time support for Mark Segbers. Of course, Mark also with Memphis 901 FC, the team making news for multiple reasons. One, their goalkeeper is Tim Howard, who also is a part owner, and they decided that last Saturday they did not want to take the field. It was the anniversary of Martin Luther King's Right to Dream speech, and instead they went to the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. Mark Segbers will tell his story and the story of what they did last Saturday. After him, Ian Barker, Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, will break down the multitude of platforms for education going on right now as Ian Barker, Vince Gansberg, and the gang continue to bring great education opportunities every single day. The Big 12, women's soccer, they're going to play, and that means Texas Tech's going to play, and that means 13-year top man Tom Stone will be on the sideline. This guy's a big-time coach, could easily be a candidate to be the U.S. national team coach. Great interview. Tom Stone is on the show. We'll do a quick Big 10 and 10 with Ohio State men's soccer. That means a visit with Brian Mazenoff, played in the Olympics, played in the World Cup, started Indiana, was assistant coach at Indiana, now in his third season at Ohio State. He's joined by Matt Lampson, former Big Ten Goalkeeper of the Year for John Bloom and Buckeye Land. He's still in Major League Soccer, back with the original team that drafted him, the Columbus Crew, where Mays also played. Brian Maisenoff and Matt Lampson, Big Ten and 10. And then two more amazing members of our 30 Under 30 class, Tristan Studeville. This young lady's done it all already, and she's still super young. And Jordan Vehar. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, TeamSnap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linky, kicking off the show with a man who I used to love watching play for the University of Wisconsin Badgers, Mark Segbers. He was part of the law firm, and if you heard a couple weeks ago, we had John Trask, the head coach, on with Chris Mueller. He was part of that law firm as well, Segbers, Mueller, Catalano, and Barlow. Mark Segbers was a high pick for Major League Soccer. He's got a great story, though. He's from St. Louis. A young black man who was adopted by a white family who also adopted two black sisters. We'll get to that in just a moment. But now he is starring for Memphis 901 FC, a USL championship. He's found a home there. He pretty much starts every game. You can see him flying up and down the right side. He's relevant for so many reasons. One, 
He's a black man, obviously living in a world right now with all kinds of social injustice. Two, he's playing for Memphis 901 FC, which is also partly owned by Tim Howard. They made the decision, I think rightfully so, to not travel to North Carolina FC, which, of course, all of you know I'm the voice of that team on Saturday as we continue to deal with the social injustice, including social injustice that wasn't too far from where Mark played college soccer in Kenosha, just down the road from Madison. They made that decision, and then they made a big move on Saturday, visiting a very special place. And, Mark, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, my man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, couldn't be happy to, uh, to join you. On Saturday, you guys decided not to come to Raleigh, North Carolina. Nobody, nobody said that that was a bad decision. But you also decided to make a big movement and visit somewhere special. Tell us what you guys decided to do as a team collectively on Saturday. Yes, we, uh, we made a decision to go to the Silver Rights Museum. It's also right there with the uh, Lorraine Hotel where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. got shot. So it was just a, a really great, great experience to be able to go in there and see all the exhibits. You know, there's tons of information in there, and I think it was eye-opening for, uh, for everyone, really. Well, you said it best even before we started recording, with last Saturday being the anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s Right to Dream speech, and then with everything that's going on, particularly after the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, not too far from where you played soccer, as I said earlier, in Wisconsin, and everything else across the country. Really, Mark, soccer was the last thing on anybody's mind, right? Yeah. You know, I think at that point in time, uh, I think really for the first time in a lot of our lives, soccer has always kind of been, you know, focal point of where we go to kind of release stress and get away from our problems, but... This carried carried onto the field, and it, it kind of goes to show that you know there's, all, there's always something bigger than soccer. After the visit to the museum, when you looked around, particularly as a man of color, and saw your teammates there with you, put into words what it meant to make that visit to the National Civil Rights Museum. I think the best way to describe it is that I felt unified with uh, with my brothers, whether they're the same color as me or not. You know, I, I kind of going through it with them and just seeing how, how serious they took it and you could tell how, you know, how eye-opening they were. They were so accepting, you know, all on board to, to take the stand with us and had our backs, you know, multiple, multiple of them stood up and said that, you know, if we weren't playing, they weren't playing. So you definitely felt the, uh, the love and definitely felt unified out there. Speaking of being unified, you had to appreciate the support from North Carolina FC, which was supposed to be the host team, as well as USL Championship, the league as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you saw a lot of a lot of things across the league. They took in me and, and solidarity, and you know, once we told North Carolina how we were feeling, we got nothing but support back from them, which just gave us even more confidence to not only not play, but to take a step forward and take action and try to try to make a a good step in the right direction. And Mark, as we also talked about, you guys have a big time soccer superstar, a U.S. soccer icon, and Tim Howard who not only plays in goal but is a part owner and involved in so much with your club. And he played a key role in this decision too, right? Yeah, so uh, we had a meeting on, on Friday. Tim brought us together and just wanted to kind of keep everyone, see where everyone's head was at regarding, you know, the wild things that are happening in the world right now. You know, it was big for him, very respected for him to come kind of bring us together as a group and kind of remind us that we're all in this together. I think at that point, you know, some of the, Black players on the team and myself kind of expressed our discomfort with with how how we're being treated in this world and in this country. So I think 
with the date being, you know, August 28th, which is also the, the day of the I Have a Dream speech, I think it just kind of all came together that, you know, sometimes it's bigger than sports, things are bigger than sports, and this is definitely one of those things. I think going to uh, the museum and really having an educational day kind of opened some eyes for some people, and I think it was a, it was a good decision in the end. Well, and because of Jacob Blake, it happened in Kenosha, not too far from Madison. In fact, coming up, Ian Barker, who actually coached uh, with Wisconsin when they won the national championship, said they played soccer all the time down in Kenosha with the team. And, again, I know you're from St. Louis, but your ties to Madison are deep. It had to maybe even hurt a little bit more knowing it happened in the state where you played college soccer, right, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Madison for me for those four years was definitely definitely home. I found myself. I was accepted by my teammates and peers and everyone around the campus. It couldn't have been more of a home for me. I definitely hit a little bit harder and closer to home knowing that Kenosha is so close to Madison and knowing that the injustice happened somewhere that, you know, somewhere I really felt like was home and a, a safe place for me. You talk about a safe place, Mark. You've been very candid about being adopted at a young age, this family that adopted you, a very special family, a white family, a Catholic family. You went to a Catholic school. You've also told me that they did have to tell you, as a young black man, you had to, for lack of a word, decode or be aware of surroundings. What do you remember about those discussions? You know, it's just mostly a discussion of kind of bringing the reality to life, you know, being black in America. There's certain things that you don't have privilege to that other people might. So it was just kind of sitting me down and kind of opened my eyes to the harsh realities of the world that we live in and what we have to go through and kind of, they definitely did their part in trying to protect me in the best way they could. And, you know, I couldn't have been happier for those conversations and then being able to sit me down and really open my eyes to all the dangers that you have just being a black man in America. Well, knowing your background, I really do got to believe, Mark, and then just knowing you and how open you've always been with me, I really do believe that you've always seen people as human beings, whether it's you're with people of color or you're with your teammates that are white or coaches that are white. None of that factors into your thought process at all, does it? No, never. And I think that's just another testament to my parents, you know, I was raised correctly where, you know, no one's born to hate anyone. I was born, you know, we were we were born and raised and, you know, you only learn things that you were taught. And I was lucky enough to be, be raised by two great parents that, you know, and you know from a very young age that it doesn't matter what you look like. You know, you don't judge by the color of your skin. You judge by the character of your heart. Look, here's the goal, and every week I've been trying to increase the dialogue. I give a lot of credit to Nicole Hercules, who's a powerful black woman who is the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. I've made it a mission to keep the dialogue going. I'm proud to say that I was raised to see people as people, but I also feel like because of that I was a little naive, and a lot of what I'm hearing shocked me. It, it saddens me. Mark, you've experienced it. What is your message to everybody, white people, black people, Hispanics, Asian, purple, brown, yellow, doesn't matter. What is your message of inclusion? The most important thing that people need to realize is that it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your belief system is. At the end of the day, you have a decision to make the right choice and the wrong choice. And I think that people just need to really look at themselves in the mirror and decide what kind of person they want to be regardless of how they were brought up and uh, what they were kind of pushed upon growing up. I think, you know, everyone has a choice. Everyone has their own voice. Now's the time to, to step up and use it. And, Mark, what about passive racism or passive aggression toward racism that we're learning more and more about each week on the United Soccer Coaches podcast? 
I'm proud to say I gave you equal billing on the law firm. To me, all four of you were superstars, and it didn't matter what your color was. But we are learning that great black soccer players are just considered great athletes and things like how you talk and walk and stuff like that. What's your message about that, and have you experienced that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that just goes into the, um, you know, there's a lot of stereotyping along with now, you know, being black, more athletic, you know, um, just athletically gifted in a sense, whereas just because you look some certain way doesn't mean you always have those qualities. There's a lot of, you know, black soccer players out there that, you know, love the ball to feet and, you know, a little less mobile. So it just goes to show that, you know, you never can judge a book by its cover. Coming back to your family, Mark, as you sit right now and you think about your sister's are you scared at all, or do you feel like we're going to get through this and we are actually not going to let this just fade away? We're going to, again, stand up to racism and be about love and respect. Uh, you know, obviously, obviously I, I, I care for them. I think about them. and I fear for them every day. You know, this world and this year has really shown that, you know, it really can't happen to anyone of color. So I definitely fear for them in a sense, but it also gives me a little more motivation to stand up and do what's right and take a stand and do more than just talking about it. And, you know, I have a platform to use, you know, might not be the biggest is, you know, LeBron James and these guys, but there's still a platform and there's still followers of people that look up to, um, you know, USL players and MLS players. So you got to make the most of what you have and try to try to bring the, the light out of the dark. As we think about your path moving forward, obviously you were drafted really high by MLS. You bounced around a little bit. You found a home in Memphis. But what is the ultimate goal for Mark Segbers? Do you want to get another shot at a dance at MLS or – what is your goal, Mark? For me, my goal, uh, MLS team comes to St. Louis, and now it is 2023 with this whole COVID situation. So I've definitely been on my mind since the day that, you know, there's ever talks uh, talks of an MLS team in St. Louis. I think just growing up in St. Louis is it being such a huge soccer city. Um, you know, you go to all those games, and you just always were hoping it would be a pro team that you could play for there. And, you know, now that dream's coming true. These next two years are all going to be – Going towards trying to, you know, build a resume as to when that MLS team comes in uh, 2023, you know, Mark Segers is, is on that is on that list. And since we mentioned the law firm and Chris Mueller and John Trask, what did your time at Wisconsin mean to you? It honestly meant the world to me. I mean, not only as a soccer player, but as a person, you know, those coming in as a freshman, meeting as a senior, I definitely, you know, learned tough lessons that, you know, you need to know that shapes you as a man and I think you know also on the soccer field you know I learned the important lessons uh that the game that the game has to has to offer you know I, I definitely came out a better soccer player that is you know I think tough tough mentally and able to you know roll with the punches and adversity you know kudos to the big Ten in Wisconsin for that and uh I definitely came out a, a better human being and a man after after going there for four years how about winning that that ring at Wisconsin, what's that mean to you? It means the world to me. I mean, especially now because I got some Big Ten, uh, Big Ten people on my team that I can always bring it up and have a good laugh. But uh, I think it was just also uh, being so close to you before losing in the final, and uh, then being able to get back in the same that next year and be able to finally kind of right the wrong was uh, something special. Finally, Mark Segbers, whether Memphis 901 FC wins all of their remaining games or loses all of their remaining games. When you look at wins and losses and look at victories for social injustice, what does a victory look like for you today and in the future? A big, a big win in my eyes would be just when we can, when we can wake up, wake up day after day and humanity doesn't have to clarify that all, that all any lives matter. You know, that should just, that should just be a normal thing. That should be an everyday thing. That shouldn't even be a conversation that needs to be had. That all lives matter. Regardless of your black, blue, yellow, red, or white, you know, everyone, everyone deserves a fair, a fair judgment. 
and uh, everyone stays sort of a free life. That's a great answer, Mark Segbers, and indeed, you are a great player and even a greater person. If people want to follow you on social media, can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me at your Mark Get Seg Go, and you can also follow me on Instagram at x underscore Mark the Spot. Mark Segbers, man, he got it done at Wisconsin. Mark Segbers, great human being. All the best. Thanks for uh, sharing your story on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Yeah, Dean, it was great knowing you back in the Big Ten as the announcer, and uh, happy to uh, get on with you today as well. Great way to start the show with Mark Segbers. Coming up, another man with ties to Wisconsin. In fact, he was a coach when Wisconsin won the national championship back in the mid-'90s. Talk about Ian Barker, the longtime director of coaching education for United Soccer Coaches. Ian Barker, when we return. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. The United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention will be held January 11th through 15, 2021. In the coming weeks and months, we will be releasing more information on the big event, including presenters, diplomas, networking opportunities, and registration information. So stay tuned to hear more about what United Soccer Coaches will be putting together for the ultimate event for coaches of all levels. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I want to thank Mark Stegbers, an outstanding player for Memphis 901 SC. They decided not to play on Saturday. Of course, he played at Wisconsin, so what is happening in Kenosha means something to him. Thank you to him for kicking it off. As promised, we are also joined by a man who's not from Wisconsin, but around the Minnesota area. has spent a lot of time. Ian Barker, you recognize by his accent, he's not from either one of those places, but Ian Barker, the longtime director of coaching and education for United Soccer Coaches, joins me now. Ian, thanks for being with us. Dean, thank you for having me. I actually did live in Madison for 10 years, and we used to go and play a lot of soccer in Kenosha, so I'm very familiar with the area. That's what I thought. I knew you were with the Badgers. In fact, were you with the program when they won that national championship, Ian? Yes, I was, 89 to 95. Well done. Okay. So I guess before we get into some new education courses, obviously now it's the time. It doesn't matter what your color is. You keep the dialogue going, though, right, Ian? Yeah, we've been fortunate with the webinars that Vince Gansberg and I run, the match day webinars, had Gaddis on, who's part of the Black Players Coalition of MLS, and a number of black coaches have come on to chat with us about how they're feeling and dealing with things. I think one of the things that encourages me is that a lot of people who maybe did care but didn't know how to express it or hadn't chosen to express it are now letting their voices be heard from across a much broader cross-section. of. Let's remind everybody when they can hear those match day, because I know you've adjusted the schedules a little bit, but always time to promote here on the podcast, Ian. Sure. So Vince and I put out the match days live on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at 12 Central, noon Central. But they all live on the website in a recorded fashion. I mean, there's over 150, 160 of them now. So some are X's and O's, and some are interviews, and some are more topical issues. So that's a lot of content out there in a very informal way if people just want to kind of have a 15, 20-minute listen. All right. Speaking of promotion, Mike Knipper, the great director of communications for United Soccer Coaches, said, let's get Ian back on. We've got some new blended courses. We've got a lot going on. You've got the floor, Ian. Tell us everything we need to know about some new education opportunities. Yeah, well, thank you. So a couple of things real quick. We've put the educational product called the High School Coaches Diploma which is kind of content that talks to the needs of a high school coach, dealing with booster clubs, dealing with athletic directors, dealing with 
balancing academics and athletics. So we've got that program going up online. Vince Gansberg has headed that with Kevin Sims and uh, Greg Winkler and Harry Putterman. Last week, I did a performance analysis special topics with a colleague of mine from Scotland who delivers on the UEFA courses for the Scottish FA. That was a 24 people limited access and it sold out and it was generally deemed to be very successful. So we're going to offer that again in September. So that will be the performance analysis where you're kind of looking at breaking down video and, and what to make sense of it. And that's the grassroots all the way up through potentially NWSL, MLS coaches. And then the grassroots courses we have, so the mums and dads and the beginners coaching, four-a-side, seven-a-side, nine-a-side, eleven-a-side, we put those all up in a digital format as well. So obviously right now avoiding the need for in-person. So those are all some highlights. But the biggest one is that the National and Advanced National and the Premier, our three more advanced technical awards, they are now in a, a third format. So the original format that we have is the five, six days together in a residential setting. And I think that remains my favorite, and I think it is the best product. But we also took the content and we put it into two long weekends for people that couldn't take a week off and wanted local, they didn't want to fly to Florida or California in the wind, do something a little bit more local. So that was the two-weekend format. And during this time, we've rewritten the content and the curriculum refreshed it, but we're offering a third format. And that works basically, you sign up whenever you want to, so it's not sort of deadline, date, contingent. You get a bunch of content provided online. You look at that, and you take about a month to look at it. Then you come into six to eight, live classroom settings where you get to meet other coaches and now you can ask questions and give feedback. And then the third phase, and this is obviously something we're still working on, is to bring 8 to 10 to 12 coaches into a location based on what's easy for them to do the in-person piece. And it could be built in around a game or a training or a club event. And then the final part, the fourth part, is they submit a video of themselves coaching as their final assessment. So we've really worked hard to offer the products and the content that people want in a way that they can't access traditionally. So we found new new ways to um, give them access to it. Ian, you mentioned all of these great opportunities for education. Where can people go to get more information? First place they should go is www.unitedsoccercoaches.org, and then head to the education page would be the place to start. Ian Barker, Director of Coaching and Education for United Soccer Coaches. Ian, I feel like we're all trying to live by the motto, adversity creates opportunity. And make no mistake, as far as coaching education, no matter what adversity you're facing, you need to continue to learn. And that's been an important mantra, right, for United Soccer Coaches during this tough time? Yeah, well, I'm very fortunate to collaborate with Vince Kansberg, a great collaborator in, in um, Vince, and then also David Newbury in Arizona. So that's good for us. But very quickly, Vince and I had a conversation with a psychologist who used to be a college soccer coach at Georgia Southern. Then he was a psychologist with the Army Rangers, and now he's with the Toronto Blue Jays, Ben Freakley. And Ben said, basically, in a very crude dichotomy, there's two ways of looking at this, a, a sort of a threat approach to it or an opportunity approach. And it's not easy because it's been six months to always be positive and upbeat. Vince and I have looked at it as an opportunity or a challenge that's our mentality as opposed to a threat. So rather than sitting there sort of licking our wounds and feeling sorry for ourselves and, and wondering when we're going to get back to coaching outdoors, we've just found different ways to try to coach and share and educate. Of course, I can't let you go because I know that your plate is going to be full as it relates to the decision 
and the right decision, I'm sure, for the health and safety of all of our members and everybody involved, the decision that is for the convention to go digital. You're going to be busy, my man. People are going to be leaning on you. You're a bit of a media superstar as well, so I know we're going to see you in studio. We're going to see you leading sessions. And I feel like, Ian, most of my guests, before I let them go, I say, hey, are you still going to be part of the digital convention? And, I mean, every one of them say yes. Why is it important for everybody to be involved in the digital convention January 11 through 15? Well, I think it's great because everybody that loves convention and has an experience of it, you're going to miss it. But here's a good way to get some of that mojo back because there are going to be much more interactive components. It's not going to be just a series of Zoom calls. So I think for those that are going to miss it for this January, there's still a ton there and they're going to want to participate. It's going to be a little bit less expensive in terms of time and money. And then for all of those people that have never been to a convention, they've heard about it, maybe they weren't quite sure, maybe they didn't think they belonged or they didn't have enough time or money, they can now get a sample of convention, really get a feel of what it's like short of being in person, and then hopefully in 2022 we'll see them all in Kansas City, which is our next host city. Chamber of Commerce, United Soccer Coaches style answer, of course, from Ian Barker, Director of Coaching and Education. Ian Barker, thanks for being on the podcast. Dean, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. As it stands right now, the Big 12 is going to kick off women's soccer real soon, just a week or two away. Tom Stone, now in his 13th season at Texas Tech. Of course, he coached Atlanta in the WSA as a player. He won a national championship in Duke back in 1986, Duke's first national championship in any sport, by the way. He's a man who's always on the short list for the head coaching job for the U.S. women's national team. He was an analyst with me at the Colorado Rapids. This guy is plug and play. Tom Stone, top man, Texas Tech women's soccer, when we return. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. As you know, we've been doing a lot of Big Ten and Ten, but we know the Big Ten is not going to play in the fall. One league we do expect to see playing in the fall, both football, American football, and soccer, women's soccer, is the Big 12. That means a chance to talk to one of the leading Big 12 coaches. My first ever analyst, by the way, in the booth way back. <laughs> In 1996 with the Colorado Rapids, the talented Tom Stone. Tom, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Oh, it's great to connect with you, Dean, and great to be on the uh, podcast. Yeah, really always a pleasure being with you. And, you know, my fingers are crossed, Tom, that you guys are going to be able to get a season in. Tell us kind of where you are right now with practice, when your first game is, and is there a little bit of trepidation, or do you think you can pull this off? Well, I think if there was trepidation about pulling it off, we wouldn't be playing in terms of health and safety of our players and following protocols and the incredible support. I mean, you know what's interesting, Dean? This, I don't know if this is talked about enough, but you think about athletic directors and you think about even trainers and medical personnel and soccer coaches. You know, when we're all in our element, if we're any good, then we're successful and you have successful careers, et cetera, et cetera. But you never think that you're going to take your skill set and you're going to flip it on its head and you're going to be spending so much time on a global pandemic and the young ladies' mental health and their 
ability to be confident, your ability to bring them back from an eight-month layoff safely, and where can they go, and how do they have to wear masks and be careful, and even your own doctors have had to pivot in terms of laying the expertise they do have into a new area, and what I have grown such an appreciation for the people above us here at the coaching level at Texas Tech and the just incredible leadership that they have shown and the expertise that they have handed out to us because, you know, if you've been an AD for 20 years, you still never dealt with this. And so to be able to successfully navigate those waters and be able to bring our soccer team to the point where, yeah, we're worried about the country and the impact that this will have on our season coming or going or actually happening or not. But we're not overly concerned about how well we're being taken care of. From a health and safety standpoint, we feel really good. Tom, you've seen the the videos and the memes and that type of thing. When the Big Ten said they were pulling out, obviously really tough for the new president of the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Big 12 was, well, whatever Texas says goes. And what they meant by that is the University of Texas. How much credence do you put on Texas and Texas football dictating whether you guys will or won't play soccer? Oh, zero. If the Big 12 doesn't play football, obviously, as a conference, then we won't play soccer. But there was a time, and I think we saw some repercussions of that time, where the University of Texas, which, you know, I have tons of friends who graduated from there, family members that graduated from there. You know, I, I don't think if you grew up in Texas, you can appreciate the rivalry, but you don't hate the school. But it's not, it's not talking down to them to say there was a time when they had a lot of say in every decision that was made here. But I think you've got a different setup now as other athletic departments have succeeded in so many sports and so many national championships being won across the board in our conference. And you have a new leader at the University of Texas who I've been extremely impressed with, his level-headedness and his ability to see the success of the overall conference being, especially now, the most important thing. I mean, the Big 12 needs to succeed, so it can't be – about a big sledgehammer because they're hurting just like we're hurting and they're doing the right things hopefully for their athletes as we know they are as we are so i think that era has changed and that's not a slap to them that's actually a compliment because if you want the big 10 to survive ohio state can't just just be about ohio state it's got to be about the whole big 10 and i think we're seeing that level of cooperation amongst all the schools right now and Texas is no exception to that. They've, they've been a big part of, of the reason we're playing, and, and hopefully we'll continue to be that way about, about the conference. Thirteen years now at Texas Tech, with or without a pandemic, that tells me you love your time in Lubbock. Why do you love it so much there, Tom? Well, you know, timing is everything, right? I mean, I had a great experience in the WSA and four years coaching with and against the best players in the world. I can't say I've ever grown as much as I did in that environment, tactically and also just player management and being in a sport where – It had been all about relationships and development of players, and all of a sudden those ladies were paying their mortgages, and their development was key to the success of their family and their career. Just a different view that I got from that. And then my time with U.S. soccer has been great. But getting here was just, it felt like home. And I am from Texas, as you know, but not from West Texas. And so once I got my feet here and got the program going and the family started growing and the kids started going to school here and the friends that we made, and as you know, I went to a somewhat snotty private school back east, which I adore and will always support, but I didn't realize the opportunities and the avenues that could exist at a Clemson where I coached for a year and a half with Todd Bramble and at a Texas Tech in West Texas. I just had no idea, having been a player at such a small institution, what these big schools can provide in terms of overall experience. And 
once we got our feet wet here and the team started, you know, growing and recruiting started going well, it was just clear that as long as they'd have me here, we just loved it. And the idea of raising our kids in this community is amazing. And seeing all the people, I mean, being all the people that we talk about come out of North Carolina, North Carolina State, Duke, the Duck Triangle, successful people, it is the same out here. It is incredible how many butt kickers and leaders of industry are coming out of Texas Tech on the daily. And they are such genuine people. It's just so impressive to be surrounded by these people, Texas Tech graduates. And there's just a feeling here. People from here get stuff done. You know, we have a saying at Texas Tech that said, from here, anything's possible. And that may sound like a nice slogan, but it's real. And so it's just they've made it comfortable for us. Not to say they don't want us to win. I mean, I've got a boss who he gives everything we need to win. And if you don't win at some point, you know, you're going to have to have a serious conversation with with our administration, but uh, they give us a, more than enough to be successful, and I think that's that's all anybody can ask for. I have a lot of colleagues that are very envious of the leadership that we have here at Texas Tech, and, you know, that's consistency and longevity. Kirby's been here for 10 years. Uh, my media boss, Dr. Henry, has been here for 40. A lot of people that have come here have stayed for their career, and uh, I can see why now. Great to talk with one of the best interviews in all of soccer, Tom Stone. And, by the way, that school he was talking about, 1986, he led Duke to – their first ever national championship of any sport. Got to remind everybody that. It's pretty amazing when you think what Coach K has gone on to do, Tom Stone giving Duke their first ever national championship. You've also produced not only genuine people, some big-time players. I've got a front-row seat now of Jalen Hinkle Daniels. I think she's the best left back maybe in the world. Incredible. Janine Becky, I mean, you've got a nice list of players that are going on to make money playing soccer. How does that make you feel, Coach? It's great. It's it's we're so thankful that players like that chose Texas Tech in the first place because they obviously could have gone anywhere in the country and were recruited by everyone. They just felt like this was the place where they could reach their goals and dreams as individuals, as people, uh getting a great education here and then you know, we'd love to say, yeah, we'll take credit for for these girls, but the truth is players like Becky and Hinkle they wanted it more than we could have ever wanted it for them. And believe me, we wanted it for them pretty badly. But they are just so dialed in on their future and being great people and great teammates. You know, we look around pro sports, you know, for every for every player that just looks like a tremendous teammate, there's somebody who's equally as talented that's just not. And these girls are the are the are the former. You know, they are tremendous with their friends and tremendous leaders and great uh, examples of what a pro athlete should be like, you know, their performances on the field speak for themselves. And I agree with you. I think Jay's the best left back in the world. And I think that uh, her being able to do that over the last three or four years, given a lot of what she's gone through, has been a huge statement as to her commitment to her team in North Carolina, the championships they've won. And then Janine, you know, several NWSL teams and now on Man City, which, as you know, just signed Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle. So Janine went from being on probably a top ten team in the world to quite possibly a top four team in the world. And uh, that's, you know, they re-signed her for another couple of years, so they're, they're high on her. And they have a real developmental approach there. I mean, their coaching staff is awesome. And I've learned a lot getting to know them, too, and we've exchanged ideas. We've kind of been a little bit of a lens for them to talk about college players here that they're considering. So the relationship with Man City has grown from our university, and that's all because of Janine and how she's carried herself as a pro. So that's been great. All right, finally, as uh, you know, Tom, you have a position of power. You're not afraid of any kind of question. No doubt our country, <laughs> on top of the pandemic, we're dealing with social injustice at all levels. We had Mark Segbers on a moment ago. He played for Memphis 901. He played in MLS. He went to Wisconsin. He's not from Wisconsin, but he felt 
touched by what happened to Mr. Blake there as well. Obviously, he is a person of color, but it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're smart, you know there's social injustice going on. You also know you have a platform to talk about it. Why is it important to keep talking about it, Tom? Well, I mean, first of all, you're right. As a human, American or German or Japanese or any country that you want to talk about, but just as a human being, we have to keep the conversation going, and we have to be appalled at the injustices that we have seen. And what I am more in touch with here is being a, one of the many leaders that these girls have of a college program of females specifically who are 18 to 22, who in some cases have just been awakened to the concept of the social injustice that has always been around them, but maybe they never saw it or maybe they didn't understand the depth of it. And so part of our job, I believe, and this is the tact we've taken, is we need to educate and we need to be involved, but we also need to be wise. We need to not get swept up in this or that or this saying or that saying. We need to say, all right, what are we passionate about? What change can we impact? What action items? We talk about that with our team all the time. Like, yeah, you can give me a shirt or you can lock arms and come up with a cool thing. But if we're checking boxes, we're not doing anything to change. And the Lubbock African-American police chief said to us the other day in a meeting that he would have with all of our athletes, if all it took were black people to solve social injustice, it would have been solved decades ago. And that's so true in the sense that if we do not, as a country, all colors, unify behind the equality that is, should be required in everything from business to just how you treat people and how you look at people and how you treat them and how your relationships with them are, we're not going to get anywhere. And so we've just been preaching to our team, and they've been preaching back to me, Coach, let's be active. Let's get involved. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about that our team is doing is we're going to get heavily involved in the east side of Lubbock with young girls and sports. And we're going to create mentorships and relationships amongst young girls on the east side that need the opportunity to play soccer, to come over to Texas Tech to our John Walker soccer facility and experience sports. Because being what we know is young women who get involved in sports of all colors have such a better opportunity higher likelihood to graduate from college, to graduate from high school, teen pregnancies down, teen drug abuses down, self-respect, self-esteem, like the sports aspect of it is so real. And we can impact that. You know, there's some things that just our reach is only so much. But if we can impact young girls in our community, and then maybe this program that we're putting together, it's going to be, I'll give you the name once we've uh, finalized it, then maybe other college programs will pick it up. And I've spoken to Eric Bell at TCU and Colin Carmichael at Oklahoma State, they love the idea. And if we can have a great run at this over the next six months, then our idea may spread to other women's college soccer teams around the country. Who knows? If it just impacts Lubbock community, we're going to be excited about that. But I think it's got some legs. And if we do it right and we do it properly and we support that young female community in our sport, then it can grow into other aspects and little, little boys and other sports. And But we're going to focus on what we know we can deliver, which is opportunities to interact with our soccer team, teach these girls soccer, and involve them in something. And then if our foundation gets big enough, we can start to pay for their ability to sign up and play soccer. And if we can get to that point, which is our short-term goal, then, you know, we'll be that'll be action. And that'll be something that we can really sink our teeth into. And I, and I hope, you know, make some change, make some real change. Because it's those, it's those generations below us. I tell my team all the time, yours is the generation that can make this different. It's not my parents' generation, quite frankly, 
It's probably not my generation in terms of the long haul of making this better. But our players, 18 to 22, they can lead the way. And if they lead the way in the right way, however you define that, then I, I think that we can make a difference in guiding them through this. Oh, it's inspirational. Tom Stone, walking the walk, talking the talk. Tom, I want you to help me with this last segue coming up. We've got Brian Mazenoff. He was a heck of a player now in his third year at Ohio State. We have Matt Lampson who overcame stage four lymphoma. You think about the Buckeyes, you think about Lori Walker, Hawk as well. They're not going to be able to play, at least not in the fall. They're going to play in the spring. There are other teams like them that aren't going to be able to play, which have young women and young men on their teams. You guys are going to be able to play. What kind of words of inspiration can you give to those players that can't play? More importantly, maybe from your case, Tom, maybe the like juniors or seniors in high school somewhere that want to be noticed by Tom Stone but can't right now. What's your message to all of them? Well, I think, first of all, it's important. You talk about Brian and Lori and how they are such – I don't know Brian well, although we've met a couple times around them. I know Lori really well, and it's incredibly impressive how their focus immediately turns from we're not going to play soccer to I need to take care of my athletes. What do they need from us? What kind of support do they need? And that's what's happening. I mean, Todd Schoenberger at Washington State, you know, probably the most competitive guy that I know out there, one of my best friends. I mean, the guy doesn't want to lose in ping pong, you know. But immediately when he finds out that his season is over, he pivots and he says, all right, I've got to take care of my athletes. And that doesn't mean the best practices in the world, although they'll have some great practices in this time. But it's really reaching out to them and staying connected with them and trying to figure out how that these young people don't fall apart. Because if you play soccer, and we know it's a year-round sport, and you're out of soccer for going up some of these teams, if there's no spring, they will have had no meaningful practices and no meaningful games in over a year and a half. Think about that. And unless you've had a devastating injury, that's just never been a part of anybody's lives. So then the soccer coach becomes, you know, even more of a mentor, even more concerned about mental health, even more concerned about connectivity and people and you know, we talk about, again, on our team, the individuals on our team make up the fabric of the whole thing. And people are hurting in different ways, Gene. And I think that we're lucky to have, you mentioned, you know, Brian and Lori, we're lucky to have those types of leaders at big institutions that can set the standard. This is a business. We do get fired if we don't win. But this isn't the time for that. This is the time for you know, a lot of love has got to go out to your kids or you're going to lose the culture that the best coaches in the country have created. You know, you look at the culture of North Carolina, that can be lost in this time, but it won't be. And it won't be because of the staff they have in Chapel Hill. I mean, Anson and his crew will never let that happen. But it can happen if you're not careful. You know, culture is a fragile thing if you don't nurture it, and this is a different kind of nurturing in this time. As far as the young players, we're going to see them. The, the ban will be lifted. We're going to get to them. Video is more important than ever. Keep sending the stuff. Dead period visits are not ideal, but they are allowed. Walk around some campuses. We're going to get to you. It's going to happen. You're going to see a recruiting effort like you've never seen before. Like the airlines don't need to worry about people on planes because once they let us get back out there, we'll be hitting the beaten path. Our families will miss us, but we're going to get to those players. So they're my key to them. If that's the last part of your question is they just need to keep training because however we remember them before, we assume six months, eight months later, if they've had an opportunity to be with their club teams, they're going to keep improving. And they just need to focus in on their game, their individual performance and development. And when we get to them, those kids will get recruited. It will happen. The man never misses a question. And we're, you talk about lucky to know Brian and Lori. I'm lucky to know you, Tom. I think one of the best women's soccer coaches in the world. And also, I think if you ever do hang it up, one of the best analysts 
that this game will ever see. You're that good. I mean that. I don't mean to be a sick of fan. I just say it like it is. Tom Stone, <laughs> thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And, hey, next time we got to actually talk about uh, U.S. soccer on the men and the women's side. So let's do this again. We will, absolutely. You, you are plug and play, Tom. Good luck to you guys. Good luck to the Red Raiders. Thanks, Dean. Take care. Stay safe out there. Thanks, Tom. We will stay safe. And thanks for your comments about Brian Mazenoff and the Ohio State Buckeyes. They're up next. Mays with Matt Lampson. This guy overcame stage four lymphoma in high school, went on to play for John Bloom at Ohio State, successful career in Major League Soccer. He's back with the original team that drafted him in his home state, the Columbus Crew. The Ohio State Buckeyes with Brian Mays. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. We continue our Big Ten in 10, Big Ten Men's Soccer, where we visit with all nine Big Ten Men's Soccer Coaches and one distinguished alumni. Obviously, when we started this, we were hoping Big Ten was going to play soccer in the fall. They're obviously not, but we'll continue to have these visits because the guests have been outstanding. No different for the Ohio State Buckeyes, led by former Indiana Hoosier, great player, Indiana Hoosier assistant coach, played in the Olympics, played in the World Cup, talking about Brian Mazenoff, who, if you remember, at one point was the college player of the year, the same year that Todd Yegley won it. One took the Mac, one took the Herman. Brian Mazenoff now in his third season for the Buckeyes is joined by Matt Lampson, who was a big-time goalkeeper over former Ohio State head coach John Bloom and is now with the Columbus crew and has had a great professional career. He's the backup at the crew, but obviously loves being in Columbus. And don't forget, Matt Lampson overcame lymphoma to continue his collegiate days and his professional career, so he's a great story. Brian Mazenoff and Matt Lampson. For all of these interviews, I'm joined by the man behind the idea, Chris Monroe, former goalkeeper at Indiana, former assistant coach at Indiana. He calls some games with me at the Big Ten Network. I call him the professor, and Chris Monroe kicks it off with a question to Brian Mazenoff about the improvement in just two short seasons under Brian Mazenoff at Ohio State. Maze, making that six-win jump in your second season is, is certainly no easy feat. Can you take us through what you think helped take you from a one-win team in 2018 to those seven wins in 2019? That first year in 2018, it, it was tough. I mean, the timing of the hire, I didn't get there until May. The team had already left for summer vacation, so and we're not allowed to work with them over the summer. So the first time we actually got our hands on them was preseason. So we just didn't have enough time to work with the guys. And that fall, it was a lot of fun, but it was, it was a challenge. But it was a fun challenge. And even during the fall, I thought we turned some really good corners. It didn't show up in the win column, but just in terms of what it looked like at training and what, you know, what we were trying to get across both tactically and just in the locker room, I thought we turned some corners. So a lot of credit to those guys because the timing was tough. And then we had the whole spring to work with the guys, which – Ultimately, it's hard to get better when you're not training. So we had a great spring in terms of just hammering down some concepts and principles and, and got on the same page. And it showed in the fall with the improvement in the wins. All right, I'm going to jump in and move to Matt now. Matt, obviously, when you were there, Mays was probably playing for the Columbus crew where you play now. What made your time at Ohio State so special, Matt? 
you know, I think just being a part of a, an athletic program like Ohio State is something to be really proud of. And you want to, as a player and as a soccer program, you want to make that athletic program proud. You want to be one of the top programs in the country. And we're in Mays' hands now, so I, I think it's in great hands. But, you know, when I was there, we were, I think, fourth seed in NCAA tournament. Like, we were we were doing great. And whenever you get a chance to represent a university like that in a men's soccer program and help them achieve the goals that ultimately win a national championship, I'm gladly part of the stepping stones that will help them get to, get to where we want to go. And Matt, Coach Mays is, is certainly following the footsteps of a legend and, and your coach, Coach John Bloom. You've been really frank and past interviews on how big of an impact he's played in your life. I was hoping you could just share some of that with our audience, both following your recovery from stage four lymphoma as a high schooler, and then just throughout your entire collegiate career. Yeah, I mean, he, he took a chance on me. I transferred in halfway through my freshman year as a fourth string goalkeeper, and he saw the potential. He saw, I mean, ultimately, you don't, <laughs> it's tough to, to play guys that aren't on money, and it's, it's tough to play guys over upperclassmen but he wanted to win and and he he gave me the opportunity to showcase what I could do and ultimately put me on a platform to to be where I am now and almost 10 years in the league and I owe a lot to him because uh you know a lot of times as a, as a coach you want to be prideful and you want to make the decisions that that make you look good as a coach instead of winning and, and credit to him he went for it and uh hopefully I rewarded him by my play but credit to him and and I owe a lot to where I am now to him. Well, I'd say you certainly have in your ninth professional season back with the team that drafted you, the Columbus Crew, Mays' former team. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like being back in the state you grew up in, back with the club that drafted you, and also being coached by someone with strong Big Ten ties himself, former Indiana University standout, Caleb Porter? Yeah, yeah. He just walked by and uh, gave me a weird look, like, what are you doing just staring at your phone? Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's, it's awesome to come back. And, and hopefully I'm part of this organization for a long time. I'm very proud to, to be you know, a Central Ohio guy and, and now come full circle in my career and play for them again, especially with a big, awesome state-of-the-art facility going downtown. And just to play with somebody that you know I have so much history with, it's a cool thing to be a part of. And obviously we're doing really well. So anything I can do to help this team win, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm lucky to be here. And it's just a, a fun team right now. Maze, I remember it like it was yesterday. The Big Ten Network launched in 2007. Indiana and Ohio State met in the Big Ten Tournament final that year. It went to PKs. The Buckeyes won, and they made it all the way to the NCAA championship game. The regular season game as well between Indiana and Ohio State was big time. Talk about what it'll mean for you to put Ohio State back on par with Indiana. That's our focus. That's our goal, and that's what we're, you know, that's what we're we're uh, leading towards um, to get back into that national spotlight. I mean, with the athletic department, the resources that Ohio State has, the university athletic department, the whole community. It's such a great soccer city. So we're we're really excited with where this team's going, with where the program's going, and uh, you know, that's our goal to get back there in the national championship and uh, Big Ten championships, and all those trophies are just byproducts of what we do every single day. So we're really focused on just our day day-to-day operation, and that's going to lead us to, to uh, those NCAA championships and those Big Ten championships. And Mays, I was wondering if you could just share with us how important it is to have alumni like Matt representing the program, a three-time MLS Humanitarian of the Year, founder of the Lamstrong Foundation, and just shed a little light on how important his visibility is both to you and the program. That's so important to have alums like Matt to, like you said, represent the program to what he's done in the community, what he's done on the field. 
I mean, he's, he's an unbelievable alum and all the guys in the locker room know it. We talk about it and, and that's, the, that's the history of the program. And it, it is so important to have those guys really lead the way and, and, and be leaders and, and uh, be role models for our current guys because everybody in our locker room wants to be the next Matt Lampson for sure. Trust me, folks, there's quite a few people that also want to be the next Brian Mazenoff. Talk about one of the all-time great players, all-time great people, Matt Lampson. His story incredible and still getting it done in MLS, still getting it done in his home state. Matt Lampson and Brian Mazenoff talking Ohio State men's soccer. When we return, we meet two more members of our 30 under 30 class. Can you believe there's just four more members of this year's class that we still have to meet and you will have heard from all 30. That after this message. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap 30 Under 30 Time as we are almost done with all 30 of these great members, 15 men, 15 women. I'm digging this one, Tristan Studeville. Check her out. She's in Kansas City, Missouri, which, of course, is friendly to United Soccer Coaches, and she is the owner and director of operations for Soccer Girl Props Camp and PS90 Camp. She played collegially at Ball State. I dig that because I went to Ohio U, so a fellow Mac student as well. So I love that, Tristan, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to be on with you today. Yeah, I want to get to the Soccer Girl Props camps and the PS90 camps, but I want to find out how it all started, where did you grow up, how did you end up at Ball State, and how did you end up in Kansas City? Yeah, so I actually grew up in Kansas City. I grew up playing for Block Radonofsky basically since he started here in Kansas City with Cage Mac, and then I actually – committed to St. Louis University and played there for a year and a half and then transferred to Ball State where I played for four years there. And then all through my time playing, I, you know, started coaching at a really young age. I started a nonprofit when I was 12 called Casey Goalkeeping. And we started because when I was younger, I saw my parents paying for, you know, coaching fees, tournament fees, club fees, you name it. But on top of it being a goalkeeper, you know, my parents were paying for goalkeeper coaching fees too, which... At the time, we were around, like, $100 an hour for a good goalkeeper coach. And so I realized that, you know, there was no way that everybody could afford that. And so Blanco let me come into the club and start training goalkeepers for free. And so it just kind of grew from there and then took off. So I fell in love with coaching and knew that's what I wanted to do and started to try and find as many ways as possible to, to be involved and get involved. So that kind of evolved into camps and I was a camper at Soccer Plus with Tony DiCicco every summer since I was eight, and then I ended up being on staff with them for, I want to say, like four or five years, and then ended up starting my own thing and parting ways a little bit. That's kind of where we're at now. Wow. So let me get this straight. So Tony DiCicco, legend, Watko, now the head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team, and soon to be a legend, if he not already is, 
and then soccer girl prom, that has got a huge following. So explain that whole creation because I'll tell you what, it's huge on social media, right? Yeah, they've been able to create a great platform for female athletes and soccer players specifically, but they're a fantastic group of girls, and it's been a pleasure to work with them. And they were somebody that, you know, when I took a look, I guess it all started, I took a look at the camp landscape on the residential side and kind of where it was today versus where it was when I was a camper. And it was completely different. And so I was like, what is, like, what's changed? Why why is it so different now than it was then? And how do I meet players and families better where they're at and make this, you know, a year-long experience for them and not just a week at camp? And so I recognized at the same time that, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for female soccer players to have a week-long camp experience just for themselves. There was no all-girls residential camp that had fully female staff, and that really just was a place for female empowerment and giving them strong female role models to look up to. And so I was like, let's do it. And I reached out to Soccer Girl Probs, and they were like, yeah, absolutely, let's find a way to make it happen. And so I handled all the the campsite of things, and we kind of took off from there. So remind us who created Soccer Girl Proms. What are their names? Where are they based? What was the reason for creating it? Because I know it's a special story. Yeah, so it's Alana and Shannon and Carly, and they played soccer at Fairfield University. And when they were in college, they actually made a video, and uh, it actually went viral. So they kind of took off from there and created a business around it, but they are absolutely fantastic, like, people, not just, like, soccer players or soccer people. Like, they're just great women, and they look for ways to empower each other and everybody around them and just get as involved as possible. So they're a great well, group. Yeah, indeed. Well, you clearly have not been afraid at a young age to nestle up to very influential, power, big voice people when you think about Tony and Blasco and even these two young women. How did you say, wait, I want to get involved and in, uh, what gave you the, the power, the wherewithal, the know-how to reach out to them and get this going? For me, I just knew that, like I knew the impact that something like this could have on so many young players and I just went for it. I was like, you know what, the worst thing they could say is, you know, they're not interested and that's fine. And I'll just, you know, I'll do it on my own. But I was like, I have to at least try. And so for me, I just I sent them an email first, just kind of explaining my vision for the camp and where it could go and what I wanted to do and why. And they were like, let's jump on a phone call and see how we can make it happen. And then it kind of took off from there. Let's circle back to Ball State. As I mentioned, I went to Ohio U, so loved when Ball State would <laughs> come in to play Ohio U, they used to have a great basketball program. Rick Majerus, a legend, was the coach when I was in college. That just means I'm old. But what, what made well, you go to Ball State after one year at St. Louis? I was really looking for a program that felt like home, somewhere that the team felt like a family, and the coaching staff was going to give everybody equal opportunity to earn their time. I came to Ball State on a visit. And it felt like what I thought my college experience was going to feel like. The atmosphere there, the campus, everything was perfect. The coaches there, like, coming in, I knew that they had a all-conference goalkeeper there. I knew it was going to be a challenge. But what I loved about it, I love challenges. But what I loved about it is that the coaching staff said, you know, you come in. It doesn't matter what everybody did last season. Like, it's a fresh start. So 
come in, do your thing, and show us what you can do, and we'll give you a fair shot. So that was really important for me, and, you know, they stayed true to their word, which was fantastic, and I ended up loving my time there. Absolutely loved it. Make sure we understand also what PS90 is, because you said the soccer girl Bob's camps was pushed back a year because of the terrible pandemic we're dealing with. I can't wait for that to get rolling, but tell me about PS90. Yeah, so PS90 is our co-ed side. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to offer something to everybody to get that, you know, year-long experience. And so I partnered up with a friend of mine here in Kansas City who played at West Virginia, and he was drafted by the Red Bulls a few years ago. Unfortunately, got injured, so he was looking for a way to get back into, you know, the game. And so I was like, hey, Joey, let's see if we can put this together. And so we actually got off the ground a bit with PS90 and a little winter clinic uh, before the pandemic hit. But we wanted to offer a co-ed option as well so that we could tailor to everybody and give everybody that kind of experience. So I can tell you're open to anything. So I got to believe when you're yeah. about this 30 under 30 class, you're definitely open to it. Talk about your interest in it and how excited you were when you were named a member and then how much you've enjoyed it. Oh, my gosh. I have absolutely love this experience. I got paired up with a fantastic mentor in Celia Slater who runs True North Sports, which is an amazing program for coaches as well, so everyone should check that out too. But when the application came out, I was like, I know that I'm kind of an unconventional applicant because I was still playing. But I was like, like I did with the Soccer Girl Props phone call, I was like, I have to just try. I have to give myself a shot and see where it goes and the worst thing they can say is no and then I you know keep moving and keep learning and so filled out my application sent it in and then when I got the notification that or I got the information that I've been accepted I was absolutely blown away and honored and really excited to continue learning and go down this path and be involved with a great group of people so it's been absolutely fantastic so far there's a great group in this year's class and we've all been able to really help each other and talk to each other through the whole pandemic and everything so it's been nice to have a good core group of coaches to kind of lean on and learn from well you're so young with a big future ahead of you as you start to already be an owner and the director of operations with the soccer girl props camps and the ps90 camps but where do you see yourself 10 years from now? That's a great question. You know, hopefully I want to be coaching collegiately as well, so trying to get my foot in the door with that a bit. I'm still at the same time playing, so looking at some playing opportunities overseas a bit, and so just trying to kind of balance. It's a weird transitional time right now with the pandemic and everything, trying to figure out what my next step is on that path outside of camp. But in working with Celia, I partnered up with, Becky a bit and what drives winning and so we started this virtual character camp with them as well through our soccer girl props camp to try and offer you know a virtual learning experience for those players that missed out on camp this past summer so I've been working with them a lot so I'd love to continue to work with them over the next few years but I would you know really just love to continue learning one thing that Tony always you know told me is that you're never done learning, and once you think you are, you have to turn around and start all over again. So, you know, I'm just looking for great people to learn from and just continuing to grow as, as a person and as a coach and just try and impact as many players and people as I can. Well, really, every name that you mentioned, particularly when I think about Celia and Becky and Tony, they're huge proponents of United Soccer Coaches. So let's end with that. When you think about United Soccer Coaches, even at your young age, 
What does the organization mean to you? Yeah, the organization has been a huge part of my growth as a player, as a person, as a coach. You know, I've gotten all my licenses through them and diplomas, and, you know, they really helped me as a young coach see the doors that were open for me and see the opportunities that were available for me, especially as, like, a young female coach. They did a great job when I was younger to show me that this was something that I could do and it's something that I could take seriously and pursue seriously. And so, you know, I was able to get my advanced national from Lisa, and Lisa Cole has been a huge part in United Soccer Coaches and in my development, like, through them. And so the organization as a whole does a great job of fostering young coaches and putting them on the right path and giving them the resources that they need and showing them that this is all possible and the resources that are out there. And I think the other thing that they do great is at the convention every year, you know, they introduce you to so many coaches in different areas and at different levels that you create this great sense of community. And it's just great to have kind of all those people around you and, like I said, continue to learn and just help everybody along the way. So it's a fantastic organization, and I'm so honored and proud to be a part of it. You are blazing a trail right now, Tristan. Well done. Keep it going, okay? Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, my pleasure indeed. We'll be back with more right here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. The United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention will be held January 11th through 15, 2021. In the coming weeks and months, we will be releasing more information on the big event, including presenters, diplomas, networking opportunities, and registration information. So stay tuned to hear more about what United Soccer Coaches will be putting together for the ultimate event for coaches of all levels. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Staff. Time to meet another impressive member of our 30 Under 30 class. Now it's Jordan Behar, who is head coach of 2007 and 2002 Boys Go teams for the Mockingbird Valley Premier Club based out of Louisville. This guy is also an entrepreneur. He's the owner of the Go 5400 soccer training now five years. We'll get to learn about where he played collegially in just a little bit, but right now let's welcome Jordan. Jordan, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. You know the deal. We want to get to know you, so tell us about where you grew up, what club teams you played at, your two stops in college, and how you found your way to Mockingbird Valley Premier and how you found your way to be the owner of Gold 5400 Soccer Training. I've always been a soccer player. Uh, my dad's actually South American. He's a Scottish born until he was three and then he moved to Venezuela so he lived there until he was 17 and then he was stateside ever since but he had a ball at my feet very early on uh, and the day I was born I started the 94 World Cup and the year Brazil won it so I'm a big Brazilian national team fan so I didn't have a choice in the matter so I'm, I'm totally okay with that. So I actually started out playing soccer indoors at Mockingbird when I was very, very young. I was about three. Did that, went through a rec program in, in southern Indiana, jumped my way into the competitive side in southern Indiana at a, about the age of 10. Stayed there until I was 14, then hopped over to a club called Javanon over in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, my team, we were very fortunate to be one of the top teams in the country. First team out of Kentucky to be in National League, so it was a blessing to be able to do that. Right out of Javanon, my teammates and I, we all ventured on to play in college. I started out at Bellarmine University and then remained there for one full academic year and then found Marion University in the transfer window kind of the next year. I'm in AI school up in Indianapolis and very thankful for my time that I had at Marion University. Some of my best friends came from there and definitely it was good to kind of get out of the Louisville metro area and kind of expand a little bit. I got to meet a lot of great people. I actually met my mentor 
for the 30 Under 30 program at an internship that I had at Indiana Youth Soccer my senior year in college. So everything kind of came full circle with the program. But started coaching college right out of my graduation year in 2017 of Barron University. I was a volunteer assistant at Bowling University, a D3 school here in Louisville. Right after that first year, I was also working at ESPN Louisville uh, as an account executive. I just realized that, you know, coaching is what I was really passionate about. I wanted to be involved, and my dad had always coached me. I knew I wanted to get involved at, at some level. So I jumped right into it as a volunteer level. Eight months later, I was fortunate enough to get be uh, pulled on staff as a grad assistant at Spalding University under Coach Boyer. Those are the two best years that I could have ever asked for, to have a college coach kind of be a mentor to me and kind of take me under his wing and just really develop good relationships there at Spalding. And I got to get a master's degree along the way, so I'm very, very thankful for my time there and had our two winning a seat in the program history at Spalding there. During that time, I was also coaching at uh, the Southern Indiana Club that I had previously played at when I was younger. Did that for three years. Then this past year in May, during the pandemic, when things kind of got cut short, I uh, a connection I had made at Spalding. He became the new director of coaching at Mockingbird, and just he made a call, and then I knew I wanted to be there 100%. So hopped on board with them in May, and then we just kicked off our season last week with our first official practices, and we're kind of going steady right now as best we can. All right. Impressive indeed. So, let me get this straight. You were born in 1994, that's correct? Yes. All right, how about that? You know, I was actually working for ABC at that final. I was in charge of giving updates to the sideline reporter for the Brazil-Italy final. In fact, I remember being in the Italian locker room because Roberto Baggio had a bad hamstring, and I think Baggio missed a, a PK later on at the Rose Bowl. So kind of neat connection to you there. My oh, yeah. Man, it also shows that I'm, I'm pretty old, but so you've been all about Brazil ever since, huh? Yeah, yeah, I just I just I follow them religiously. It's kind of a my dad, my sister, and kind of things that we're that we do every year with with the men's World Cup and things like that. So it's, it's really fun. What about locally or in this country? Do you have an MLS team you follow or a USL Championship team you follow? Yeah, I worked for Louisville City uh, as a summer internship leading into my. Senior year of college, I was able to work on the corporate partnership side and got to be in that organization. I really enjoyed working with them back in 2016. They're definitely the USL championship team I support because they're local. Their new stadium is fantastic. That's a great atmosphere to be over. Lynn Stanley Stadium with them. Uh, MLS, not as much. I'm, I'm a Tottenham fan through and through, and then also a Real Madrid fan kind of on the side from my exchange student that I had in high school. He was from Madrid. All right, let's go back to the little segment. I uh, just want to go a little deeper in this Goal 5400 soccer training. Explain that name and explain what drove you to start Goal 5400 soccer training. Right. So I've always been a big believer that just the amount of times that you are in a game, the times where people take those those moments off, even just a couple seconds off, can be the kind of the decider whether that game goes in your favor or that play goes in your favor. So 5,400 is actually the amount of seconds that are in the 90-minute soccer game. So I'm a firm believer that if you take care of business in those 5,400 seconds, there's no need for extra time. You've done your job. You didn't take plays off. So the kind of the slogan for Go 5,400 is play every second. Every single second, second matters. It's something that I really just I, I don't I won't budge on. I'm a big believer that it's kind of every second is so crucial in a game. So that's kind of how we approach training all the time. Just every rep, every rep, we just have to be at a high level, high intensity. Um, and it's actually something that my dad gave us when he was my coach. He gave us shirts now when we were younger that were 3,200 for when we were younger because that's how many seconds we're in the game that so we were playing. But now it's kind of evolved into 5,400 as the players that I coach have gotten older and just I want to make it kind of an umbrella of an entire soccer game because everybody will get there at some point. 
what made you want to be a part of the 30 under 30? Because, man, you've done a lot of impressive stuff already. i got to believe you're an easy choice. I know I'd pick you if I had a vote. What made you want to be a part of this exclusive club? Yeah, I actually applied the day before the deadline. It was just another coaching buddy that I had made a connection with up in Indianapolis. was like, oh, you know, you should go ahead and just apply for it. I mean, you can't hurt to do it. I mean, the worst they can say is no. So I went ahead and did it. Thankfully, I've, I've got a neighbor down the street who uh, – looked over my essays and things like that uh, on the spot that night. So it helped to have a neighbor who has a master's degree in English and literature. So I think that played in my favor a little bit for from a literature standpoint. But I actually met somebody who's at my current club in Mockingbird who was part of the 30 Under 30 program, and she said it was really good. And I knew that where I was in my coaching career, being so new into the field, and I know I wanted to make it a full-time profession for myself, I knew I wanted to really take advantage of those mentorship opportunities and just kind of building those relationships with people, not just in the state or Louisville Metro or in the Midwest, but anybody I can kind of relate to. And I think the people that I met down in Baltimore were just an amazing group of 30 under 30 candidates and people who were a part of our class. And I'm just really, really thankful that that person was like, just go ahead and submit the essay because it, it definitely just, it definitely changed my career for sure. What's been the best part about being a member of the 30 Under 30? And you already mentioned that you love your mentor, but you didn't say his name. We're all about name dropping on this show, my man. <laughs> yeah, so my mentor for the program is George Perry. So we have, we had met back when I was still in college. He wasn't my direct supervisor at my internship, but we knew who each other were. And then he was the commissioner for my league that my club team was in. So we stayed connected through there. And then he got placed as my mentor. And then I'm just very thankful for George. Um, and it works out because we're able to connect really well because his wife's a teacher, my fiance is a teacher. He's been able to help me pass soccer in those relationships and kind of the way that he approaches carries himself. So I'm really, really thankful for George. I've known George forever. He's a Hoosier, and he is a standout member of United Soccer Coaches, so that's perfect. All right, with that, you've already done more than a lot of people have done in their lifetimes, but one of my favorite questions is that crystal ball question. Ten years from now, Jordan, what do you want to be doing? I hope to be back in the college game for sure. I know it's a little tough right now with kind of the pandemic stuff going on, but I'm pretty optimistic when it comes to just us being able to play. So I'd like to stay, stay involved in the college game as much as I can and be a part of that because staying in club was not something that was part of my plan probably 10 months ago when I was finishing up my GA ship, but it's something I wouldn't change for the world right now. So I kind of feel like my path has kind of changed a little bit, but I definitely want to get back involved in the college game. I really enjoy and get a lot of satisfaction out of helping kids get to the next level. That's why I like coaching the oldest age groups at my clubs that I'm able to be with because I enjoy being part of their journey to get them to the next level in that recruiting process. Definitely want to be on a college staff, want to continue to progress from an education standpoint as a coach and slowly working my way through the online resources that United Sour Coaches have been offering during this time. You are plug and play, man. You are great. Great interview. Everything was insightful, on point. You've done some amazing things already and more amazing things are on the way. A deserving member indeed of the 30 under 30 class. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you having me. Great stuff, Jordan. I want to thank him and all of the great guests on today's show. I also want to thank Sean Chevrolet, Mike Knipper, and all the great people at United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of them, I'm Dean Linky. Stay safe, everybody, and we'll see you next week.